नमस्कार वेलकम टू द एक्सेसिबल योगा पॉडकास्ट वेर वी एक्सप्लोर द कनेक्शन बिटवीन द एंशियंट टीचिंग ऑफ योगा इन द कॉन्टेक्स ऑफ द टाइम्स वी लिव इन दिस पॉडकास्ट इज ब्रॉट यू बाई द एक्सेसिबल योगा एसोसिएशन a non-profit organization focused on accessibility and equity in yoga. I'm your co-host Anjali Rao. My pronouns are she and her, and I serve as president of the Accessible Yoga Association Board of Directors. And I'm your co-host Shivana Hayman. My pronouns are he and him, and I serve as the director of the Accessible Yoga Association. Okay, I think we're live. Hi. Yeah. Okay, first I want to hi. say hi. I want to introduce myself. Say hi. I'm Jeevana Heyman. My pronouns are he and him. I'm so excited to be joining you. I live on Chumash land here at Santa Barbara, California. I'm the director of Accessible Yoga and we're doing this this kind of combination Facebook Live and Accessible Yoga podcast recording with Fajal Patel. Hey Fajal. Hi. How are nice you? Nice to be here. Yeah, I'm good. I'm just uh, yeah. yeah I was just gonna say my uh, my pronouns are she and hers, and I'm coming to you today from the stolen lands of the Tongva and Chumash people, colonially known as Los Angeles, California. And it's you know as expected, bright sunny day, which I'm still getting used to because I just moved here a couple months ago from the Midwest. So yeah, how do you feel about that, that bright sunny weather all the time? It's it's, it's a lot. It's a lot. And then it's been gloomy the last few days. And I don't love that. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> so I'm trying to find yeah. my middle. I'm trying to find my center on, on how stable the weather usually is here. Yeah. Balance. Right. That's, that's mm-hmm. yoga. Actually, I, I, there was a post yesterday that, um, you know, Indra Aurora, uh, she posted about that, you know, how yoga is balanced. And I thought that was so interesting, like avoiding the yoga of extremes. And I thought that was just such a great reminder because I feel like we do get so extreme sometimes in the yoga world. But um, all right, I want to talk to you about a few things today. So first, I thought I could kind of go back a little bit and talk about uh, the Yoga is Dead podcast, which I'm sure you hear about all the time. But <laughs> I was thinking about, I was just thinking about it and how just hugely impactful I think it has been in the yoga world. And to the point where I was even thinking that we should start to identify the like timeline of yoga like before the podcast <laughs> and after like do you know what i mean like how we have ad and bc right or bce now we have so i was thinking would that be a ayd yes <laughs> uh why <laughs> okay yeah right yoga is dead so ayid and then byid right so before yoga is dead i feel like this conversation was barely happening like i mean you know through accessible yoga we were trying a little but like not that much and i feel like you and jaisal who i mean people don't know you the two of you created the yoga is dead podcast which is was it really only one season it was really only one season and we had planned six episodes a monthly release and after that it was the pandemic so everything we had planned or thought we were going to do after our last episode dropped of season 1 which was January 2020 i think it was january 1st or 2nd and i was away and we were just totally out of touch in that holiday period and we were still trying to push the episode to launch and like get a pre email out to excite people but i remember we had a wrap party uh, i think the third third week of january in person 
Wow. We had so many people come out to this, uh, the Humming Puppy NYC Yoga Studio, donated the space, and we had so many people come out. And it was the most surreal thing to have listeners from the internet, the online <laughs> world that we've never met. We've only like kind of interfaced with through ratings and uh-huh. comments and Instagram, then show up in person and just say, whatever their thoughts were about the podcast at this rap party. And then two months later, the pandemic closed everything down and Jaisal moved, moved out of Manhattan. Yeah. And yeah, we were just kind of on pause for a while until last year we dropped a book called the original godmothers of yoga. Mm -hmm. And then this year I moved to the West coast. So life transitions really took over. It was only one season, six episodes. That's, it's unbelievable. I mean, I think it's a combination of things. I think it was just your brilliance, both of you, just like the fact that you put so much work into it, by the way, like if, if people listen to those, they, they, you need to go back and listen if you haven't listened to those episodes, but it's not like a normal podcast that I, that I do like this, like, this is where like, we basically are just chatting, you know, minimal amount of research is needed for this because I already know you, but it's like, you know, you basically researched the topic and gave kind of like it was more like reporting, you know, mm-hmm. it was, it was journalism, I would say. And I feel like that's what we needed. We need this. We needed a commentary on contemporary yoga and that's what you gave us. And it was powerful. Thank you. It's, it's a fascinating study. The AYID era, yeah. uh, because we offered a book, it's available online. We do no promotion whatsoever. And we get a couple sales a week. Wow. So there's something happening where the yoga world is continuing to put the podcast on required reading lists, especially for trainings and trainings that are um, becoming, I would say, a little more well-rounded with Mm. the social and political climate of how yoga is used as a tool in society. And because of that, people follow the thread on their own. They sign up for the newsletter. They might become Patreon subscribers because they appreciate the free content and the free, the freeness of a podcast, but want to support the effort or, you know, they'll download transcripts. We see that happen quite a bit still, Mm. or they'll buy the book. And it's just a, it's just a fascinating study in how, when you really put something out from an authentic place and you kind of, understand your own fear and your own limitations about it before you do it so that you do it in a way that's just like of service in a way mm-hmm. um it lasted it's lasting and it's relevant even though there are so many social justice issues that have come to the forefront like beyond what we talked about in the podcast yeah. it's still a very relevant conversation and it always was but i think the way we catalyzed it into this subversive bold messaging um was right for the times and continues to be so i i'm just fascinated by it i do my yoga practice by like having a little detachment i notice what's going on with the podcast i recognize yeah i had a part in it but this message is everlasting and was always around and if this gets the word out more about racial microaggressions um power and privilege misuses uh, the way spiritual bypassing shows up in business practices in yoga, how it's systemic and not just the yoga industry, but in all industries. And it's a connector because of that. 
mm-hmm. um, then yeah, I'm, I'm all for it. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing. I'm going to put it on the required reading for reading for, uh, for my training next year, I'm going to do a 200 hour. And I think that's brilliant. I mean, for one thing, it's free, like you said. And so that's such a great service that you offered to the world. Um, but I think it also shows the importance of journalism, to be honest. Like, I feel like journalism is a lost art that is not appreciated. And if you look at like, you know, the, the way politics works, that's the first thing to go. Like when there's an oppressive, you know, or kind of semi-fascist government, the first thing they do is attack journalism because mm-hmm. that's the voice. That's like the, the critic. That's like the re- reflection of what's going on. I feel like that you were basically like, I think being journalists in and reflecting back, like the problems that were happening within the culture. Yeah. And you know, the criticism around having journalism that doesn't align with, you know, people in power. Um, what I hope people do with their criticism is let it light their fire to do their own investigation, to do their own research. But, you know, sadly, you still have people that just immediately react and they take it out on you, the journalists themselves. And we've seen that in in actually grave context in the past few years quite a bit. But um, I found that to be another just all of this fortified my practice of yoga. And mm-hmm. when I saw some of the one-star reviews coming in or some of the negative backlash around the podcast, uh, it just clued me in to, to this idea that, um, you know, we all move from different places and different starting points, even, even more. I was more tapped into that rather than taking it personally, because you're right. The way, the way journalism can be viewed is Mm. it can be like very polarizing, like, Oh, how could you, and you're an evil person just for saying this or, Oh, that's interesting. I never thought of it that way, but I'm going to do my research to continue to believe what I believe or change what I believe. Yeah. I mean, I think it's important to be able to listen to other voices. And so, I mean, I think that's what you did. You just, it's like, yeah, you just, you spoke clearly and you made really powerful statements and they were just, it was amazing, but I know that's not all you've done. Um, can we talk about some of the other stuff? Uh, like, what are you excited about? Like right now you have such an important platform that you've created of, of Thajal Yoga um, can you talk about that a little bit? Like what is Thajal Yoga? Yeah. So Thajal Yoga is really, I like to say it's your online inclusive yoga community because it's really for anyone. And the amazing part about it is that all the instructors are South Asian. All of them teach from a place of cultural and spiritual roots and um, offer a very full, expansive practice of yoga one of the main focuses of Thajal Yoga is to build community and relationships. So if you are able to make a live practice, uh, there will be a portion of that practice that is focused on your check-in. Um, sometimes the check-in question is guided. Sometimes it's very open. Like, what are you bringing into practice today? We invite people to consider offering their pronouns, the land on which they're on, the location they are in the world, mm. and then drop a check-in in. And it really creates a beautiful community environment, even if you're just dropping in. But if you come back to that practice or that teacher or any of the practices, you'll get that experience in a recurring fashion. And I think it's an important place to hold space 
for people. And it's important to help people realize that yoga is not just about movement. It is about relationship. It's about um, creating a mindset of listening, deep listening, and also um, holding space. And it's all South Asian teachers, is that correct? Yeah, that's right. And uh, it, the platform was created, I created the platform because of the pandemic. And I thought, okay, I'm a yoga teacher. I'm still going to teach yoga. I'll just move everything online, which I was already in online spaces through the podcast and through ABCD Yogi, which I'm sure we'll talk about later. Um, So that wasn't that new to me. Um, But then I was realizing that my nine classes a week didn't feel energetically balanced. So I started to uh, host guest teacher weeks so that the last week of the month would just invite in all these wonderful South Asian yoga and mindfulness practitioners that I've been interfacing with already through the ABCD yogi community. Um, but I was still managing all the operations, finances, everything back end and technically. Um, so over time, in about six months from starting it, I decided to like bring in more recurring teachers that would just be there consistently. And then finally, in July of 2021, we have about seven or eight recurring weekly offerings. And some of the teachers have two uh, classes a week. And it's just this amazing crew of people that are uh, really aligned with the vision of Sage Yoga, which is to um, have everyone that comes through a practice feel empowered and equipped Um, to take social justice actions in their relationships and communities. But it's also, so we should have gone started with ABCD Yogi first, (laughs) but I mean, it does seem like it's part of um, your efforts to platform South Asian voices, right? Or to to comment on that, the lack of those voices in contemporary yoga. Yeah, actually, my my need to connect with South Asian yoga and mindfulness teachers was similar to something you had said earlier this week was just a need to build community. And I think that's a very resonant need that a lot of people have. And I also found it to be ridiculous. Like it was a ridiculous gap in my community in New York City. New York City is a diverse place. Yoga is a South Asian rooted practice. And here I was working insane hours, teaching probably 25, 26 classes, traveling to each one and not really having days where I just didn't have to teach. And I had for myself and whatever long practices I needed Uh, and really feeling this dissonance between what I believed yoga to be and how I was implementing and practicing and working within the system of uh, Western yoga. So that led me to seek out more community. It led me to continue processing some of the grievances that were occurring when I was in yoga spaces that were wildly culturally insensitive and also racist. Um, And through that processing, I started the conversations with Jaisal. I pitched the idea of a podcast. We started talking in 2018. Um, We know the podcast didn't come out to the public till June 2019. But that same year, I was reaching out to, I was just really stretching what I thought community could be for me and go beyond the confines of New York City because I really didn't know anybody that I was connecting with um, outside yeah. of Jason and maybe two other people that were South Asian. 
that did not sit well with me. So I turned my attention online and I had seen this fun idea of takeovers. Um, it happens everywhere, but I saw it in Washington, DC. People could apply to take over and they just walk you through their day, show you their favorite spots. And it's a really fun look at Washington, DC. Um, and I thought, well, wouldn't it be lovely if people wanted to take over on Instagram and show us their connection to the practice, their daily rituals, talk about the issues they're facing and have it be South Asian yoga and mindfulness teachers. If I could do that, if I could accomplish some um, stream of popularity with that, it could be this own like self-generating engine where people just apply to take over. I get to talk with them. I used to have 30 minute, you know, 30, 45 minute calls with everyone that applied just to get to know them better. and it ended up being people from all over the world, all over the world. Wow. I had takeovers from people in The Hague, Netherlands, um, Lesotho in Africa, definitely in India. So wow. all over the world, there's at least 15 countries that are represented through the takeovers. And at this point, since 2018, the middle of 2018, we've had over, I would say 190 people have taken over and have joined a community to just kind of wrap together about what they're facing with the yoga industry, find support, uh, help signal boost their programs. It's just been really, really amazing. And that happened just shortly before, I would say a year before the podcast came out. And then a year after the podcast came out, Sageal Yoga became, you know, started moving in the direction that it is now. You're making me want to like have our ambassadors do takeovers of our accounts too it's such a great idea i mean i love watching it's so interesting i I read all of them i think i mean i i love what you do but i had never thought of like the power the power of that platform and how you can share it you know it's such a it's a beautiful way to build community i also like it seemed like there was something else though that happened and i just wonder if you could talk about it a little bit about like how do you go from having a I don't know, like being frustrated about something or having a concern or an awareness and turning that into some action. Like, I feel like there's, that's like a leap that I feel Mm. like I've done at certain times in my life and other times I haven't been able to. And I just wonder if you have advice about how to, do you know what I mean? Like turn that, not just a vision, it's almost like a, a gap that you see or some Do you know what I'm saying? Like, (laughs) I totally know what you're saying. And I just want to take a minute to acknowledge that the way another person can view your work, it can be so surprising. Like I hear you say this about the work that I've done, where for me, it's just run of the mill. You know, like this is just kind of what happened. It's what had to happen. Um, But just hearing you reflect back that it was a more hopeful approach, right? It was a more positive approach to being frustrated. And then I'm reflecting well, you've done that too. You've had a long history of challenges and disappointments and you've gotten two books. You're the director of this amazing organization. And it's nice to be in community with people that can reflect back to you, you know, things you just missed because, you know, we're, we're, maybe we're programmed not to notice those things, you know? I mean, Um, I definitely see that in you. I mean, it's really remarkable. I mean, that you've, I mean, at this point, you've created three very distinct projects that I think are really powerful and, and are essential part of what I consider to be the contemporary yoga world. 
And it's wow, that's really that's really lovely. Thank you for saying that. Yeah, I think um, what really stands out to me as how I was able to move from frustrated and almost defeated to the point where I was ready to walk away. And this still happens a lot with me. It's it's a it's a whole patterning that I am working to kind of um, shift and decode from the coding that I've that I've experienced growing up. Um, is really support. It's really about the support that I was uh, that I was that was in place at the time. Mm-hmm. And for me, I'm extroverted. I really appreciate deep rooted relationships. Mm-hmm. Relationships where we skip the small talk and we just talk about. So, how are you really doing? Mm-hmm. Like, I know you said you were good, but really tell me how you're doing and I'm going to look you in the eye and we're going to have that conversation. Um, Those are the conversations that really light me up. And I think through those conversations and sharing my struggles, sharing what I was feeling challenged by um, and having the space to talk about what a, what a different world could look like Mm. um, is actually how I was able to do any of the work I was able to do. ABCD Yogi was a project I started on my own, but um, it was very much because I knew there were other people out there that wanted to be talking about this, that wanted to be having conversations, not only one-on-one, but also in a platform where they could just say, hey, this is amazing work that I'm doing because I get to uplift my grandfather or my grandmother Mm. or my Mm -hmm. family lineage because of this work, or I get to bounce back from severe depression because of these practices. And I want to share more about that with you. Mm. So for me, it just felt like being a vessel for people that were already um, either doing this work or a little intimidated by doing the work of being on a platform and sharing about themselves and feeling vulnerable in that way and guiding people to a place where it felt that you could have these conversations or you could be seen in a loving and held way. Hmm. So it's about the support you had, you're saying that allowed. Yeah, it's about the support I had to help process um, what mm-hmm. was really needed and go beyond the I. Mm-hmm. Move from the me to the we, right? So what is the collective need here? Um, And the podcast, I will say, it's a very different, um, it's a very different surface than Instagram takeovers where you can be directly interfacing with the people live. You can join in a live practice. You can comment on a story as it happens. The podcast was very methodical in that uh, I knew that I did not want to be having conversations with people about this uh, information. I wanted to be presenting findings and sharing stories in a way that allowed people to walk away if they needed to, but then to come back. Mm, and in a way that allowed Jason and I to speak uninterrupted, which is so rare, which is so rare, which is, um, you know, which is part of the examples that we shared where we would we would t- be brave enough to share with someone, hey, I think there's a racial microaggression happening here. I feel very uncomfortable. And immediately someone is trying to tamp it down and placate and, and normalize it. Right. And the point is, it's not normal. Let's not make this common. You know, and just because it's common doesn't make doesn't it right. Make it right. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> no, that's awesome. So. But I also do, I do think there's something uh, and, 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 I don't just mean to keep complimenting you, but I mean, there is something special <laughs> about your ability to then translate that into 
an action and into something that serves others. And I do, I think maybe it just goes back to yoga, actually, like you said, I mean, the theme of the conference that's coming up, the Accessible Yoga Conference online next weekend, which is October 14th through 16th, um, is moving from me to we, like you said. And I, I mean, that's the point of that, that theme is to kind of get back to some of the essential concepts of yoga, which is around service. And I think it, more than just service is like the ability to care for ourselves and turn inward and how that process also connects us to others. So like the, you know, the inward movement of yoga, that's that spiritual, personal spiritual practice is actually a way of connecting. And I think that's so often lost. Like, I don't know how to even say it like really clearly, but I think that's what you're doing. Like you're, you're actually mm. putting that into practice when you notice something in yourself or your frustration or your disappointment. And then you're able to like turn it into service for others by actually creating something that is either addressing the problem um, through dissecting it or just offering additional options. Right. Yeah. And, and I have to just accept what you're saying. Like, it's so lovely and it's so kind and I'm just going to accept it. And I also want to acknowledge that this is very much part of my entire family's history, at least for the last two generations before me. So I talk about this story in um, an article that I just kind of wrote about people that inspire me. And my grandfather is someone that my paternal grandfather is someone that inspires me to this day through his memory, but also through his, his life and work. And he was a freedom fighter and he was out there because not because it would just benefit himself and his family, but because he knew it was the right thing to do to fight for sovereignty and to fight against the colonizers. And yeah. that is just something that I bounce back against. Like I use that as a backboard often, mm. um, that it's, that it's just for the collective sometimes. And sometimes it's not safe, but uh, it's worthy. And then I think my father also carries a lot of service focus in his life. And he's a very hopeful person. I mean, to the point of bypassing other emotions, but he really focuses on trying to be hopeful. And I think that's admirable you know, to a fault, but it's ah. nice to be able to see that and then take what I feel is beneficial and positive yeah. um, through my history. Well, I want to talk about hope in a minute because that's the topic of your keynote address too. So that's funny that you, that you said that about him. But but just regarding the issue of like protest and um, social disruption and like when there's, a you know, that I, I also think of that as service, you know, like actually being willing to put yourself out on the line, like to march in a demonstration and to put yourself in harm's way because you care about something, whether it's about your, even if it's for yourself or your family or your community, it's a service, it's an act of love. And I just feel like to me, the biggest misunderstanding around social justice that I see, especially in the yoga world, um, mm -hmm. is where people say, you know, that's not yoga. Yoga is this inward, whatever, going into some peaceful place. It's not about social justice it's not about politics and like this constant well not constant but there's like kind of i would say separation in the yoga world around yoga and politics when 
it's so clear to me that if you approach social justice as service to humanity, then it's it's completely aligned with the yoga teachings, like 100%. In fact, I don't, I think if you're not doing that, I would I question if you're actually practicing, <laughs> you know? I 100% agree with this approach that, like, yoga has precursors almost in a way. And it's fascinating. I was, I've been studying sutra and this commentary that I'm currently working with, it says, don't, it essentially says, don't even in, open this book if you haven't mastered karma yoga or bhakti yoga. Yeah. Like, go there, get grounded, get rooted, yeah. let your life be a life of service and a life of devotion and love. And then you can come to the yoga sutras to get your instructions on how uh -huh. to move forward. But uh, if you don't do that, like, don't bother. This is all over your head. It's uh, not going to land appropriately. Uh, and I think that's so fascinating because if, you know, what if your intro offer to a studio was just, you have to take this lecture on karma yoga and then submit homework on what you've done mm -hmm. for the last 30 days and a commitment that you'll continue to do this. Yeah. Like what then, you Which know, is... would you be a hot yogi? <laughs> would you actually pursue this path? Yeah. Right. You'd be hot. You'd be hot. You'd be really hot. I mean, that's that karma yoga is like the thing, like to me, that's the ultimate practice. It's funny. Cause I think of that as like the most advanced practice. You know what I mean? Like, it's funny that that book said start there because I'm like, I, to me, people that are able to turn their life into service and care about others, that's already like, you know, elevated. Right. Yeah. And I think it's, it's almost a deterrent. It's like, you know, we want less people to read the book <laughs> because it's so challenging to get through these, these yoga practices and integrate them fully. Um, mm -hmm. But honestly, that's, that's a little bit about the podcast, a little bit about ABCD Yogi and being a committed student at Thajal Yoga is about realizing that there is commitment required to the practice of yoga. It's not topical and it's not, um, and, and it doesn't have these very short start and end points. Like, yeah, you could drop into a 20 minute practice or even there are 10 minute practices out there. Um, but that's not your start and end time of your yoga practice. And um, I really, I can step back and appreciate that I have these three projects that offer yoga in such various and different ways of learning about it and understanding it and integrating it because of how different and varied we are in the way we learn and the way we understand topics and integrate them. So I can appreciate that. I think that's really cool, but it's also because I'm probably a lot of, like I have a lot of that energy, a lot of varied interests. So I'm like, well, let's just do this thing. And then let's do this thing next yeah. and this thing next. <laughs> That's beautiful. But to, your, I mean, but to your point about yeah. politics and yoga, I mean, I talk about it forever because, of course, yoga is political. Like Arundhati Roy, this amazing writer, I went to her book release of um, The Ministry of Utmost Happiness, which is an epic novel. You've got to read it. But mm. um, she was asked a question and she just said something passing by statement and said, uh, the moment the breath enters the body, it's political. Mm. Everything is political. Everything is political. Right. I mean, like, yeah. politics is simply the, the the rules and the guidelines that we create to be in community. I mean, it, this idea of politics as separate is actually a trick of politics. 
to actually keep us less engaged, to make us feel less empowered. But it's the rules that we agree to when we form community. And I think uh, for a yoga practitioner to look at how you relate to others is essential. That's what you're talking about with karma yoga and bhakti yoga. So how can you separate those two things? How can you separate your actions in the world from your, from your practices, right? And, it, and that's why I was going back to this idea of like, when I see, when I see people demonstrating I often think that's that's an act of love. They're trying to express love right now. When a lot of people see that as anger, you know, or like some kind of selfishness. And I think yeah. that's so twisted. It's like, let's look at how social justice can be service to humanity, can be an act of love and care. But let's talk about your keynote, if that's okay. You you mentioned sure. that your was it your um, grandfather was is was eternally hopeful. Is that what you were saying? My dad. My dad, dad is just oh, a dad. really hopeful person, and I think to to a fault, I was saying because if you to touch fault. on something and you get critical, they're like, okay, well, let's talk about something else. <laughs> but my, you know, my grandfather was a freedom fighter, and my dad, yeah. I think, was really proud of that, and also mm. was an immigrant. So had to be hopeful, had mm. to think there was something better. The grass was going to be greener on the other side of that journey. Mm. And I think um, there's a steadfastness he has to that thought, regardless of circumstance, which is where I say to a fault, because um, I think he recognizes I, I took a huge risk. I made a huge effort. I'm here now. Let's make the most of it. Right. But it seems like you're following in his footsteps because then, okay, the, the title of your keynote address, um, opening keynote for the conference is The Audacity of Hope for Yoga, which sounds like your dad's influence, maybe. Yeah, it definitely is. And um, definitely President Barack Obama's influence yeah, right? <laughs> from their book, The Audacity of Hope. Um, and it really feels aligned to um, how I view the world and mostly my journey, which I feel like I'm on an emotional roller coaster and I'm constantly inviting people to join the ride. So for me, the audacity of hope for yoga is is really going to be a journey of talking about honest, honestly, some of the ugly truths, some of the experiences that would make you want to turn and run. Um, in your practice of yoga, in your understanding, in your application. And why then did you not? Why are you still here? And what does that mean? If you're still here and we're all still here together to, to be a part of that journey of processing, maybe you've fully processed whatever you've gone through. Maybe you're in the midst of it and you're garnering hope from the community you're with, the support that you have. Um, what does it mean now? we're still here. And I feel like that's audacious enough to say we have hope so and hope, we have hope for the state of yoga. Hope for the state change. of yoga. That's what I was going to say. So it's, you're talking about hope for like the, the current contemporary practice of yoga. Is that what you're saying? Because is that it? Like sometimes we just feel so defeated. Like I actually know a, a number of yoga teachers who've just recently walked away, like through the pandemic, they're just like, I'm done. Like I'm not a yoga teacher anymore, but yeah. Is that what you're talking about? Like not, not giving up on. Yeah. I, I'm talking about, um, I'm talking about, it's very similar to when the accessible yoga community gets together to reflect on the work and say, the hope is that one day we no longer need the word accessible. We are just the yoga community. 
right? We don't have to define how to make these practices accessible because that is the base understanding of moving forward. And so I'm, I'm really taking a page from that whole thread that shows up in every conference that shows up in the work that I do, which is there's so much here that I could just use as reason to walk away and say, yoga is a lost cause. Yoga is just hot yoga. Yoga is just led by charlatans and snake oil charmers to um, like keep up with this phrase Callie used about Yogi Bhajan. Um, but, but instead, I'm still here fighting the good fight and making good trouble and telling people, hey, do you want to think a little bit deeper about removing Sanskrit from your practices? Do you mm. want to think a little deeper about removing Aum from yoga or saying we don't do any of that woo-woo stuff? Do you really mm. want to continue cleaving yoga from its roots? It's like cutting a tree off at the trunk and saying, look, I found this gorgeous tree. Well, eventually that tree and all its branches, they're going to die yeah. because you've cut it off from the source. Hmm. So let's just um, take a step back and look at how we can approach, you know, all of these spaces that might be harming what we think is an authentic approach to yoga. And, um, and just look at the fact that before even talking about how to solve it, just look at the fact that we're still here hopeful about how we could maybe affect it. Yeah, I love that. I Can you talk more about the Yogi Bhajan issue? Because I just feel like <laughs> I'm, I have that with my teacher, like that he w was abusive. And I also am so grateful for what I've learned. And, and you know what I mean? So I think it's just such yeah. a struggle for those of us in those lineages. And I just, I feel like that, it's when I feel hopeful, I'm like, it's okay. You know, I can just focus on what I got and, 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 and the teachings, which are eternal. Um, and part of yeah, a long absolutely. tradition. And yeah. I just want to say, I'm, I hold space for you for having experienced that. That is very tough because yoga is such a gift and it's so powerful. And then the source, some of the source of your knowledge is a little bit murky now. It's a little bit unclear. It doesn't have that clear um, thread. So I just want to hold space for that because that is many people's experience. Um, so actually ABCD Yogi, if I could just bring it back to that is a space where we not only have takeovers from, um, people that are wishing to make community and join community with a global community and with other South Asian yoga mindfulness teachers. It's also a space of learning. It's a hub for healing and learning. We do that through storytelling. We do that through practices. We do that through dance. We do that through panel events. And one of the upcoming panel events in November is I Can't with Kundalini, small text as taught by Yogi Bhajan. Right. And there will be five Punjabi Sikh yoga practitioners on this panel taking this, the mic front and center. Nobody else there to say, oh, well, what about my practice of kundalini or my kundalini yoga ties just these five people who are rooted in the culture rooted in sikhism and are yoga teachers so have interfaced mm. with the kundalini yoga as taught by yogi bhajan and um i think that panel is going to be incredible i encourage everyone to attend if they can um but talking about these yoga yeah it does right it's i feel like it's groundbreaking and and even i had a prep meeting with the panelists yesterday and they they agreed they just hadn't had this conversation before in open spaces and also with themselves it's been 
it's been a journey. Some people even turned on the invitation because they weren't at the point where they could have the conversation yet. And that's actually just as important as a panel talking about it is knowing that this is so harmful. What has been um, done to the practice of Kundalini, the understanding of Kundalini and how it's been translated by a person who is an opportunist, a capitalist, and decided to prey on um, eager, wealthy, white people mm-hmm. that wouldn't question Yogi Bhajan's authority. Yeah. But what happened is it, what happened similar to Bikram. You just have what happened similar to Osho. Like you have these stories on repeat, but you also have these stories with the white community and, and spiritual leaders as well on repeat. And um, what we're trying to do is talk about first of all, the impact it has to people from the source culture or the source practice. Mm. Uh, Second of all, why it's harmful for someone to misuse or translate in this completely disparate way, uh, indigenous practices, and also what happens next, how Mm. to hold compassion for the people that have gone through that machine. Mm -hmm. And I think the question that resounds is, Do you throw the, should I throw the method out with the human? Right. Right. And that's an answer, that answer only the practitioner can get to through their own inner work, through their own support systems. Um, But essentially the invitation is to go even deeper, go even further back because before there was this guru, there were practices, Mm -hmm. there was history and there were other people um, deep in the culture and the practices of this practice. So for Yogi Bhajan, for example, um, what they offered is a brand. Let's just call it the brand of Kundalini Yoga as taught by Yogi Bhajan. And it's an amalgamation of Laya Yoga, of Sikhism. Um, it's a violation of Sikh rules and rituals uh, for a lot of what the belief system had become. And I think if you were a victim of Kundalini yoga is taught by Yogi Bhajan, or if you are emerging from this practice, realizing that you were like shrouded in this strange violation of practice, um, you can go back to the roots. You can go back to Laya yoga. You can go back to uh, learning about Sikhism in an authentic way, learning about Kundalini yoga before Yogi Bhajan, it's fairly recent, it's 1960s. Right. Um, and we know yoga is an ancient practice, three to 5,000, even beyond. Right. So I think that's, that's what I would, that's what I share with people when they come to me with that concern. Do I just stop yeah. Ashtanga yoga? Do I just stop Iyengar? Um, like, no, you just think about the elements that have always had roots in history and how they are a part of this. But they're not the totality of that practice. And yeah. then what then do you want to keep for your practice? Well, and to move beyond the individual kind of <laughs> figurehead of the movements that we have identified as the practice itself. Um, and to go, like you said, go deeper. It's a beautiful, it's a beautiful piece of advice. I would also say that, you know, it's just important that we have we keep having that conversation though, because it seems to me like there's there's a part of the yoga community that I see that a yoga world that feels very clear about it. And then another part just continues to be in denial and just stop and doesn't look at that, you know, kind of continued abuse that happens within so, like so many 
um, communities in yoga, like you said, many white communities as well and white teachers as well. So it's not, it's not specific to like a traditional yoga thing. It's everywhere, but like, we have to keep talking about it. And I think it gets tiresome and people just like move on and don't want to talk about it. And they still quote these people. So yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. thanks for doing that. And thanks for, thanks for this. I just wondered if you wanted to share anything else about, um, yeah, about your work or about your keynote at the conference, anything you want to share with us? Um, yeah, I'm just really excited and honored. I have, I've had a long history with accessible yoga and the conference. Um, and I never thought, I just want to put this out there. I never thought that I would be able to say that. When I was a yoga teacher floundering, trying to find my feet in 2013, 14, 15, 16, 2017, finally in 2018, things started to integrate in a way that said, hey, I've always worked with, you know, my racial ethnic communities in high school and college. Um, Where did that go? Like, where has that gone? Mm. And if yoga was my chosen path, because I left finance after nine years because I liked it, but I loved teaching yoga. And I thought if I can take the opportunity to do what I love, why not? Um, If yoga is my chosen path because of my love for it, then I believe yoga is the place and I can integrate my love for all these other elements of my life, which is my interest in social justice, my interest in current politics, my interest Mm. in uplifting uh, marginalized communities. Yoga is a place that offered me the opportunity to fully integrate. And so I'm really grateful for the opportunity to be a part of this community for Mm. four plus years going and to be the opening keynote just feels not even full circle. It just feels like a moment on the journey together. So I'm really, really grateful for that. And I hope that the message of how audacious it is to hope uh, really comes through through this keynote and through the whole weekend. I think uh, all of the practices are really centered on hope because they're, they're centered on offering more tools and insight. And I think when we have more tools and insight and feel more supported, we walk away more hopeful. Yeah. I love that. I I think, yeah, it's when we feel like we need, uh, like when we start to give up and we start to get frustrated and like give in, then it's like that we need to actually be open to hearing new thoughts and learn from people like you. So I hope people will come to listen to you and learn from you and all our amazing speakers. Um, lots of information available about the conference on our website. Anyway, thanks for being here, Dejal. Thanks for all you do and for being part of the conference again. I remember, was it 20, what year was that? You keynote the, you were a keynote in New York at our live conference. We, we offered an opening meditation. Oh, right. Okay. Opening yeah, meditation. That was 20, 2019. It was in September and it was a wild ride. It was just a couple months after the podcast had come out and we were meeting all these people and we were getting to meet you and... It was an incredible moment. It really was. It was beautiful. It was great to meet you then and to talk to you today. So thanks for being here. Yeah, you're welcome. Have a great rest of your day and weekend. Okay, you too. Bye. Bye, everyone. Bye. Thanks for joining us for the Accessible Yoga Podcast. We're so grateful to be in community with you. Please check out our website, accessibleyoga.org. To find out more about our upcoming programs, including our annual Accessible Yoga Conference. At our website, you can also learn more about how to become an ambassador and support the work that we're doing in the world. 
please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review wherever you listen. We'd love to hear your thoughts. You can also submit a question or suggest a topic or potential guests you would like us to interview at accessibleyoga.org. See you next time.